All right, ladies and gentlemen, this week on the Rise Together podcast, I am so excited for this conversation. Carlos Whitaker is literally one of my favorite human beings on the internet. He is a good dude that you need to know. He happens to be a People's Choice Award winner, a former recording artist that was signed to a major label. He is a social media maven. He currently spends most of his time writing books, speaking on stages, and simply being awesome. Uh, bizarrely, he got to start like most of us do. He had a video go viral. <laughs> he made a video called Single Ladies Devastation. It went right viral. People loved it so much that it won an award. But truly, it was just a snapshot of a bigger thing that was just happening inside of his world, his life, which he shares openly online every day in something that now has become part of what he calls being a hope dealer. And I am here for it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Carlos Whitaker to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us? think like us, or live like us. I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. Dave Hollis, what is up, buddy? Oh, man, it is so good to actually connect Nashville yes. in the house. Welcome to the show. Well, man, I'm I'm excited. Thanks for having me. I uh, I always I, I love when people say People's Choice Award winner because automatically people assume that I that I like have some sort of talent. But that was like a complete and total accident. Like, like I, I have no talent to get me a People's Choice Award. I just made my kid cry. That's that's all that happened. By the way, if that was a thing that uh, provided people awards, I'd have a stack of them. Over yeah, here, so. totally. I'm looking at the shelf behind you, and it would be filled with the Dave Hollis uh, cry, "Make My Kid Cry" awards. I oh yeah, you. no, I am a, I'm a champ at that for sure. <laughs> uh, that was my attempt at an introduction of you, but love I'd love to give anyone who comes on the show the chance to actually introduce themselves. Why are you on this planet? What are you doing here? What's the work that you? Oh uh, yeah. You know, here I am 46 years into life on this planet, and I am surprisingly and excitingly still figuring out what it is uh, I'm trying to do. And that's what I love about growth, right? That's what I love about continuing to become more human every single day, figure out why it is that we're here. You know, but I, I think where I've come to these days is I am, I, I am placed in this season and in this space to give people a glimpse of what humanity should uh, look like if we're doing it right. Uh, and I'm not saying humanity as far as like things have to be like butterflies and rainbows all the time. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like, how do you, how do you live well when things are good? And how do you live well when things are rough? Like, how do you, how are you a good human in suffering? And how are you a good human, um, when things are fantastic? And so I do that, uh, by telling stories. I, I write books. I'm an author. I've written three books. Uh, so, and then I talk about those books. I used to talk about those books on stages back before, uh, the planet went to, you those know, whatever. Days. Yeah. Remember those days where, where that would happen. And so like now my, the stage that I use is Instagram, you know, I I'm just on there every day sharing my life and, and I love it, man. I, I I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying seeing people's eyes open towards maybe a reality of truth that they haven't uh, looked at. And I feel like I'm capable of giving them and moving people in a way that many people aren't capable of doing. And 
you know, I, I'm still trying to figure out what it is and why that is. But for some reason, people that think differently than me, trust me to maybe inch them in a different direction of thinking. And so that's why I'm here and I'm having a blast. And so that's, some, that's why I call it a hope dealer. That's kind of what I like to do. I just deal hope. Yeah. Well, what's I think amazing, the, the, the conceit of this show is to try and create an empathy bridge between someone who may have somewhat of a little different life experience and the listener soften some of the sharper edges of heart, maybe allow them a, a perspective of what it might be like to walk in shoes. And one of the things I love about watching all of the things that you do from tackling hard topics inside of a race conversation or sharing, I hope it's not too soon to bring it up, Sharon Featherpants. I mean, like there's just like this potpourri of what it is to be in life with yeah. kids and chaos and the world that we all live inside of. But because you're able to do it in a way that invites the viewer in, in a way that says, this is safe space, we may in fact disagree, but in that disagreement, maybe we can walk away a little bit more informed, think a yeah. little bit differently. There's beauty in that, man. Yeah, no, there, there is. And there's beauty in, and this is what, this is what I try to do every day. It is showing you're right. Like the plethora of, of my life. Like not just, you know, some, and here's the deal. Some people, yeah, they're, they're called to just kind of share business things or, you know, crucial conversations on this or that. I've always been a guy that has just kind of shared everything, right? So if you, if you follow me, you're going to get, you're right. Me watching birds in my front yard and being devastated when my cat murders my favorite bluebird on the planet, which I'm still not over. And I apologize to the I know it's too people. soon. I'm sorry for bringing it up. Uh, no, listen, no, listen, Dave. That, that was the whole Sharon Featherpants conversation. But I, I will let you know that Sharon Featherpants' baby daddy has already moved on to another woman. <laughs> and so yeah, that's just how bluebirds do it. Apparently there's, there's a new, a new bird in there, but, uh, and then, and then again, the hard things and why I want people to engage in these crucial conversations is because we have got to get back to the place where we are able to engage with people that view life differently than us and actually still love them, enjoy their company, be with them, vacation with them. All of the things we weren't created to live in these silos. We weren't created to live in spaces where we're just around people that look like us, think like us, vote like us, all the things like us. And so I'm passionate about that. And so I'm, I'm really passionate about inviting people that think differently than me to hang out with me. Cause I promise if you like me, you're going to like everybody else. Yeah. What's interesting is if someone were to ask me, Hey, explain why Carlos is on this planet. I mean, I really, from my perspective, see you as a bridge builder, as someone who's willing to say in a world that's more divided than ever. And it seems like the gap is widening. Is there the yeah. possibility that we might come together even in our disagreeing or seeing things differently or voting differently or believing differently and understand a little of why people feel on the opposite side of whatever it is that you believe what they yeah. do. Uh, Carlos has an amazing podcast. It's called the Human Hope Podcast. The last episode of the podcast was all about how to engage in difficult conversations with people you love. Talk just a little bit about some of the things that you shared inside the podcast, because we collectively are there's a, an, an yeah. epidemic of division and yes. it feels like it's just being exacerbated by social media and the news and this kind of social sentiment generally. And yeah. we got to do something to make it change. Yeah, we do. I like that you described it as a, as an epidemic of divisiveness because it really, it really is. And if, if we're not careful, it really will uh, ruin 
ruin relationships. And I know a lot of your listeners have relationships that have been ruined because of the divisiveness that we find ourselves in. And, you know, and and in the podcast, I I really kind of laid the groundwork for, I think, how I try to handle conversations that and people that disagree with me on a daily basis uh, on Instagram, whatever platform it may be, or in real life, you know, like my my aunt, who I love dearly, vehemently disagrees with everything I, b- I believe in uh, politically. But guess what? Like, like I still talk to her every other day. And I said, and, and so the, some of like the tools of the trade, you know, were, were to be really kind of build that runway of safety. When you're having a crucial conversation with somebody else and you want the conversation um, to have a good outcome, you, you need to ask yourself three questions. What do I want for myself out of this conversation? What do I want for the other person out of this conversation? And then what do I want for the relationship out of this conversation? If all you do is take those three things, you don't have to listen to podcasts. All we do right now is we think about ourselves. What do I want out of this conversation? And normally we say we want to win, right? But guess what? When you say you want to win a conversation, that's not a conversation. That's actually a debate. You don't win conversations, (laughs) you win debates. And if you really want to have a healing conversation, you have to ask yourself what you want for yourself, for the other person, and for the relationship. You do that, you lay a ground, uh, uh, airstrip of safety. Well, now now you can put a plane on it that's going to deliver you into the air of the conversation that I think is going to set you up for, uh, whether or not you end up disagreeing, set you up for a place of, of loving and, and finding empathy. When both people can find empathy, and again, listen. I love that this is what your podcast is. Listen to understand, don't listen to reply. When you start doing that, I'm telling you, it really is going to change everything, but we've forgotten how to do that. We've forgotten. We think everything's a debate these days, and it's really not what it's about. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, well, I, I reached out to Carlos in the midst of Dante Wright's in the news. And the, the post that you put up was this request that rather than debating, rather than would you consider walking with me? Right. And so for for anyone who doesn't maybe even remember or know who Dante Wright is or the context of how you tried to approach the conversation where there was plenty of fact trying to be inserted into or argument being inserted into something that was just tragic. It was a tragic thing. Yeah. And for people outside of the black community or the, you know, any anyone who maybe saw a different side of this. I thought you handled so beautifully an invitation to potentially see the opposite side that might have you feeling defensive or wanting to debate. Yeah. You know, Ooh, man, that that's uh, everything. Everything's debatable these days. Like every single thing, you can't put anything up without there being vehement disagreement. I mean, I, after Sharon Featherpants died, I had people in my comment posts that were like, you should never let a domesticated cat outside. They're decimating the songbird population in America. And then they were quoting stats. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me that like, I, 
I put a post about a dead bluebird and people are, are like pulling their stats out and their data out. And I'm like, okay, wait a second. Okay. We've got a problem here. Here's the problem with humanity. If, if this is going to happen with bluebirds, of course, it's going to happen with police shootings. Of course, it's going to happen with these things and even more intense. And so this is what I, again, I try to get people to, and you, you said it at the beginning of the question. Something I love to say is don't stand on issues, but walk with people. Far too many people are sacrificing the entirety of a relationship to have an opinion on an issue. And the opinion on an issue, nine times out of 10, doesn't even affect you. All it does is make you feel good about an opinion. So instead of having an opinion on an issue, go find somebody to walk with. So we talk about Dante Wright. We're talking about Black Lives Matter. We're talking about, as a black man, my frustration with uh, every single time I see another black man killed by a police officer in America, you know, what immediately goes, people want to go to that, that may have a problem with that is data and statistics. And let's look at, and I, listen, I'm a big believer in data. I'm a big believer in statistics. I'm a big believer in all those things. And there's a time and place for those conversations. But what I'm not a believer in is lack of empathy and lack of humanity when an entire people group is going through suffering. That's not the way that you show up in the post that you're talking about is me saying, Hey, listen, like th there is going to be, I, I believe there's, there's a great time and for conversation on police reform on all of these things. But can I tell you what, if, if somebody, you know, is at a funeral of someone they love, you know, you don't walk into that funeral and you don't say, you know what, I'm, I'm so sorry this person died, but, and then you start, because that's not the time and the place. And so for me, my frustration, it just rose out of this space of like, how in the world are people in this moment where the black community is mourning, coming in to try to teach us a lesson as opposed to just mourn with us? Because at the end of the day, my goal is not to change your mind about a particular issue. My goal is simply to have you see me. That's all I want you to do is to see me. When you start to see other people, guess what? Then you start to empathize with other people. And then guess what? Then that person is no longer an issue, right? And at, at, at that point, like it's not an issue anymore. It's a human. So yeah, yeah. now, now it's not, it's not like, Oh, well, I believe that, you know, we need a, this policy or that policy. No, now it's like my friend Carlos is hurting. And guess what? I, I, I'm just going to be with him. I'm just going to walk with him. And in that, now I feel safer with you. And in that, now I feel cared for by you, which what's that going to do? That's going to allow me to listen to you. That's going to open my ears and my heart up to more conversations we can have at a later date where maybe you are telling me some things you disagree with, but guess what? I'm going to hear them. Why? Because I know that you love me. I know that you care for me. And so that is why empathy is so important, not just for the person empathizing, but, but for the person that you're empathizing for, it builds that safety where the conversation can continue to go. Yeah. The Sorry, line I stopped the, preaching. No, the thing is, I love it. And the line in the post that was so poignant that it's just stuck with me is, you know, hey, if your grandfather passed away, and you were grieving this person that was, you know, a part of your community passing. And immediately someone walked in and said, well, if he'd eaten better, he wouldn't have had the heart attack, right? Yeah. If he, right. That was the thing that stuck with me because, yeah, you can debate whether things were done perfectly or things should be changed systemically or in policing or whatever it might be. But there's a time for that conversation and there's a time yeah. for grieving and mourning and walking with. And yeah. gosh, it was just a... Man, it we're so quick in a yeah. faceless internet space yes. where commenting is what it is to make sure our opinion is known, not right. thinking about the collateral damage that 
ends up being empathy. It's just wiped out when we move so quickly. It is. It is, Dave. And, uh, and you know, to that point and to that, that statement, guess what? The person whose grandfather or whatever died of cancer, say, and we'll, we'll keep going with that conversation. I, I promise you that in a few months when they're, when they're kind of continuing through their grieving process, I guarantee you they're going to start looking at how can I save other people from possibly the diagnosis that my grandfather got? And guess what? At that point, they're going to be able to step into some more productive conversations and they're going to be like, they're going to want to step into those conversations. You see it all the time. People whose whose family members were affected in a negative way by something end up building foundations around those things. So guess what? There is going to be time for those conversations. It's just not right when it happens. Yeah. Let's stay on race for a second because obviously the Derek Chauvin trials happened in the last year plus. I mean, like I have been, I, I go to your page, honestly, and anytime anything is happening, just to hear a little bit of how you're processing something yeah. so that I can understand it better. And man, I, like I was torn up in the midst of that trial and my privilege doesn't even afford me an appreciation of how much you or anybody else inside the community must have been torn up. On the day of the actual verdict, the thing that I was struck by was one, I had a lot of anxiety about what the outcome would be and what seemed like a very clear cut case, which made me feel this like, you know, after the verdict is, is read, wow, I feel happy for accountability and sad that there was as much anxiety in the lead up that shows how much more time is likely necessary to get to a place of justice. Mm, It's it's such a crazy thing to try and hold all of the feelings because in that verdict, I did want to feel like, oh, there's there's good here, but good yeah. would be George Floyd still being alive. Good would be right. a, a system that doesn't have these kinds of things happening. How do you kind of process holding both in, yeah. in the midst of all of it? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, to go back to what you were feeling, well, what's so good about you feeling that like anxiety about is even though it is A plus B equals C, even though that's what it should be, you're like, well, I don't, I don't like, is this going to work out? So what you're experiencing is honestly what the black community experiences like every single day, right? So like you get a glimpse of it. And so it's like, yes, like awesome. Like Derek Chauvin, like that verdict was what we all wanted it to be. But there's, I don't know, I'm I'm not a statistician. I'm not a lawyer, but I don't know. Let's say 2,500 a day where we they're going the opposite way and there's no news there's no coverage there's no things this is just the the existence of what the black community is living in to to hold both of those things to to be able to say okay it was really a sense of relief it, it for me there what there wasn't any joy it was like it was like a sigh of like wow like okay like maybe maybe possibly this is the beginning of something but but it's actually going to take now okay now's the time where a lot of work has to begin to happen it's not like oh sweet like like, like the not, buildings aren't going to burn, like all the things. It's like, no, listen, like now is the point in time where all of my white brothers and sisters have to say, okay, this is the beginning, just the very beginning. What, what can we do from here on out? What is the thing? And so my job and my role is kind of like what you say, whenever something like this happens, I feel like it's my responsibility to not only feel what I feel as a black man in America, but I feel like I've been given the maybe the grace and the bandwidth to share with my friends like you, my friends with like with John, all of my other white male friends 
Uh, and honestly, white female friends, because that's mostly who follows me on Instagram. Like, like tell them my tell them what I feel like they need to know about how I'm feeling. And I feel like I have become that for a lot of people. I've become like, hey, let's go see what Carlos says, Doctor Seuss. Let's go see what Carlos says, you know. And so to have that conversation in a in a healing way and a grace giving way is is definitely what I what I've been called for. And it is tough, dude. You know, it, it is it is tough. I as for as much as I show my emotions on the internet and I do like I'm not one to hide how I feel. I am at getting to the point uh, where I'm 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 almost done, right? Like I'm just I'm just tired like every single yeah. week. Like it's it's just like I have to educate more people. I have to have the conversation 47 times again this week and it's exhausting. And so you know, I have to, you know, I, I mean, for instance, like the last four days, I haven't even been on Instagram. There's people DMing me like, are you okay? Like, is, is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, I just needed like a mental health break. Like I, I just needed to like relax for a few days because it's just so important that, that we make sure that as much as content as we're consuming and as much content as we're pr- producing, we've got to take time for ourselves. And so that's a whole other different conversation, but that's kind of how I'm holding the balance. Yeah. Well, what's interesting for me as someone who wants to amplify someone like yourself, Tab had a great, there's a whole bunch of different voices. I want to try and also make sure that people get a chance to see and hear. And inevitably, there's always in the DMs, the people who want to try and make the case for, but what about? And I had one person in particular, you know, well, what about just not breaking the law? Sure. And and I, and so I you know like normally I to be honest I'm like I'm not going to debate with people who can't understand the reason why that yeah. isn't a good argument. But this one time I was just like you know what I'm sorry <laughs> sir. I was like look if I had committed the exact same crime as George Floyd at the exact same time in the exact same place I would still yeah. be alive and he is yeah. not. That is the difference and that is injustice and that I have yeah. to explain that maybe we'll fall on deaf ears I don't know. And yet this is part of why there's still so much work to go because of the, again, argumentativeness of, well, if they just wouldn't, or if he just didn't, or if this, and it's like, no, I'm sorry. Sometimes you just have to appreciate that the the world does not work the same way for some as it does others. Uh, it, it, It doesn't. And again, for anyone like that, I'm like, well, I mean, could you imagine, can you fathom for a second? You like, say this is your son. If you're like, well, son, if you just didn't, guess what? We, we're we all fallen and broken in some way, shape or form. Like there, there's going to be mistakes that we all make. And at the end of the day, the conversation is like, we just shouldn't have to die over using a counterfeit bill. I mean, that, at the end of the day, like, 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 that's it. Like, we're all going to make mistakes. Death shouldn't be the outcome of, of our mistakes. So. Seems like a, seems like a reasonable request. Seems like a reasonable request to me. I don't know about you. You mentioned you're an author. You've written these three books. Uh, I want to just like ask a question about each of them because I am a fan. Uh, What I love is like this same kind of spirit of hopefulness. There's a mix of light and serious that comes through in the same way that I think you do every day in what you do. But um, Spider Killer was the first book. Spider Killer, all about like identifying some of the destructive or addicting behaviors that might exist. You can't just clear away the cobwebs. You got to kill the spider itself. Yeah. Give me a little bit more on kind of what was at in your heart as you're having this conversation in the book. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the moment where everything fell apart in my life. Uh, it was like 2010. I shared the whole thing in, in the book and I, I was having medicating behaviors that were completely destroying my family, my friendships, my work, everything. And I was at my therapist's office and he just told me, Carlos, like, like, cause I, I'd been going to therapy for like three years after I felt like I'd gotten better. And my therapist was, 
was like, I was like, how much longer do I have to be here, bro? I'm paying you every freaking week. Like, you know, what, what's this going to take? He's like, well, I'm you're in a boat. I know. He's like, he's like, you're like 99% done with therapy. You just have to figure out why you keep rubbing shit on your blessings. That's what he said. And I was like, excuse me? Like, like, what are you talking about? He's like, take a look at your life. And sure enough, like I looked at my life, every single good thing, I'd rub shit on it. And he's like, listen, you have to figure out why you keep doing that. Cause, cause you can leave here now, but it's going to happen again. And that's when I called my dad. And really quickly, I called my dad and he said, let me tell you a story. And he said, when I was in Panama preaching my very first revival, Miss Ramirez came to the front to pray. And she says, would you please pray that God would clean the cobwebs from my life? So my dad said he prayed for Miss Ramirez to clean the cobwebs out of her life. Then he said the next night she came forward again. Could you please pray harder that God would clean the cobwebs out of my life? And I said, all right, he prayed a little harder. Then he said, Carlitos, night numero tres, Miss Ramirez comes to the front again. She looks at me, she's still crying, and she says, Pastor, pray one more time that God would clean the cobwebs out of my life. And my dad said, he looked at her and said, no, we've been praying the wrong thing. Tonight, we're not going to pray he cleans the cobwebs. Tonight, we're going to pray he kills the spider. And when he told me that, Dave, like it, something changed and shifted in me, and I knew that I'd been cleaning the cobwebs my entire life, and I had to find the root. And so the book helps you identify the spider, locate the spider, corner, corner the spider, and then kill the spider. And I'm telling you what, man, when people are free from that – and and don't feel like spiders are just like these massive things. They can be tiny, itty-bitty little lies. So a spider's in agreement with the lie, and a cobweb is a medicating behavior that makes you feel better about the lie. You got to find the lie, break the agreement, and you're free. I love it. It's so good. I recommend it to anyone who's listening. All right, Moment Maker, next book. Yep. So what's interesting is Moment Maker feels like in some ways it was a, a, a nice pre-book for <laughs> what we've all just kind of come through because... <laughs> We've been forced into a decision to make moments or not in this quarantine ville that we've been living inside of. Um, This was the idea of uh, uncovering the investment of attention. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the the idea of like forcing and intentionally creating moments and why it's so important. Uh, You know, we as again, my podcast is Human Hope. So I'm all about just humanity in general and how to be better human. We actually have our life living us as opposed to us living our lives. For far too many people, they, they're, you know, they can take, take stock and ownership of what's happened in their life and they've realized they've just been along for the ride. People say all the time, gosh, life's flying by. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like, you're flying by life. Like, actually, take a hold of this bad boy and you can actually be intentional. So in the book, I talk about three different types of moments, created moments, received moments, and rescued moments. And again, created moments are how we intentionally live life. Uh, received moments are how we actually have moments happen to us. So many people are not, people look at my life all the time and they're like, oh, you won a People's Choice Award. You sang for the president. You, you know, did all these things. Like all this stuff happens to you, Carlos. You're so lucky. And I'm like, wait a second. Like I'm living a life that's actually speaking this stuff into existence. Like I'm, I'm living a life that's, that I'm actually able to receive moments because of how open-handed I am. And so that's the received moments piece. And then rescued moments, this is what, where we're at every day, right? This is what 2020 has done to us. How in the world do we rescue moments on a daily basis for ourselves and for others? Uh, and you know, it, t- it does take some risk in order for that rescue piece to come in. Uh, but once you start rescuing moments, you get addicted to it. Uh, and, and again, that's what, I try, that's what I try to do on, on Instagram every single day is just rescuing moments for people uh, all the time. So that's what that book's about, just kind of living intentionally. That's awesome. I love it. We're both dads. You, three children. I, four children. It's like a million children combined. One of the things that's interesting in this idea of moment making, I've found that my kids are so different. I mean, Mm -hmm. they have the same parents, but they are so different. And moment making 
in one-on-one time and leaning into who each of them are as individuals has been a wild game changer, especially in this last year where I'm trying my best to be the best dad and super connect and in the midst of transition in my life, create some stability and make sure that they know that they are seen, loved and celebrated. But have you had something of a similar experience? If I made a mistake coming into fatherhood, I thought it was one size fits all. I'm going to be the same dad to all, uh, all of my kids. And it's just been the complete opposite. Every time I'm able to be a specific dad for their specific needs, we have a deep, more meaningful moment. Oh, totally. I mean, that if there's one piece of parenting advice for anyone that's, you know, just on the beginning of that parent train, it is exactly this. Understand that every single one of your kids, you have to not only parent them different, but they're, they're, they're going to be felt and, and they're going to feel love differently. Uh, every single one of them is going to be different. And so, yeah, find that thing out. Don't be scared to fail too. Don't be scared to try to figure it out, you know, what it is. Um, you know, I've got two daughters that are 18 months apart and they receive love completely differently than the other one. And so, yeah, I mean, be be very specific, laser focused with each one of your kids. Uh, but then also don't be scared to like, make sure that you're, you do have like a, a covering, an umbrella covering of, of like systems that you do put in place in your parenting. Like, hey, every single week, I'm gonna take my three kids out. And whether it be a 15 minute drive, a 30 minute Waffle House date, whatever it is, they know that's consistent, that's gonna happen. Now, what that looks like individually can be different, but the consistency of knowing it's going to happen uh, is super important. So yes, yes, yes. Make sure that you individualize your parenting and your moment making for each one of your kids. So good. All right. Your last book came out, uh, Author's Dream, right in the middle of a pandemic when bookstores aren't open. I had the same experience. Good times. Uh, It was called, it is called Interwild. And in it, you dive into anxiety, dive into a whole host of personal storytelling and sharing. Tell me a little bit about kind of where the inspiration to be so vulnerable and share with the audience kind of what you were going through came from. Yeah, gosh, you know, it was, for me, it was kill the spider and all the therapy and all the things um, that I, that I gone through to kind of get past those medicating behaviors got me to about 65% free. Right. And, and the thing is, is most people, whenever you've been at 0%, right. When you've been at like, living at zero or like at a hundred percent addiction or a hundred percent when you're 65% free of that, it feels like amazing liberation. Liberation. And so most people get to about that and they're like, you know what? This is good. Like, like this, this is good. Enter wild actually calls us to a hundred percent. Enter wild actually says, you know what? You don't have to be 65% free of your anxiety. You don't have to be 65% free of your depression. You could actually get to a hundred percent, but it's going to take looking at your soul as opposed to just looking at your head. It's, it's the head and the heart. They're only 18 inches apart, but that, that may as well be 18,000 miles for so many people. How can I move from my mind to my soul is what Wild does. And so I talk about three, three different steps. Uh, again, you're starting to get, I get it, I'm a three-step guy. You know, enter rest is step one. Enter war is step two and enter wild is step three. And again, enter rest is letting people know you're never going to get to 100% unless you finally lower the volume of life. So the volume of healing can explode in your life. People are looking for healing constantly, but I, uh, and they're like, I just can't find it. I'm like, well, let me take a look at your screen time. Let me take a look at how much content you're consuming. Let me take a look at all these things. No, you've got to rest. You've got to lower the volume of life in order to have the capacity 
to step into the next section, which is war. Now, what's the warfare that's going to take place? What is what is it that you need to battle with? And so that's really kind of like a kill the spider uh, Navy SEALs version in the middle of, of Enter Wild. And then once once you kind of, you know, go through the warfare, then you finally find those miracle signs and wonders that we've all been desperate for in our lives every single day, see that the ounces of freedom that come flying at us every single day. And I'm telling you, you'll never want to go back to 65 again when you know that you can live at 100. And just so people know, 100 isn't like, I'm, I'm not saying that like life is perfect at 100, but what I'm saying is you can be living at 100% of your capacity, whatever capacity is that, you know, that you've been created to deal with and to live with, that is available to you. So don't give up at 65%. That's what Enter Wild, the whole book's about. I know you've come out of having been a singer inside the church, a preacher in some respects inside the church. The, the church has been a big formative part of who you are and bleeds through. And I think the work that you do today, certainly in the books sure. that you've written. And there's this like always interesting tug between the capital C church and our individual relationship with God. I can say for myself, I'm closer to God than I've ever been and questioning more than I ever have the convention of the church and whether it is the best, always the best facilitator for the relationship that I have. Are you seeing anything in all the work that you've done, traveling through congregations that make you kind of question a little bit of how church, the organization, is facilitating the relationship that might exist between any of us and our yeah. Kids? Yeah, no, I love that. That's a great question. And yes, I, I, you know, I come from a very church background. My father was a Southern Baptist preacher, you know, like, like I, I grew up in it and I feel like a lot of people are having some deconstruction, you know, uh, in their faith. I actually answered a question last week on my Instagram. Someone was like, Carlos, can you help me? Like, I feel like I'm deconstructing my Christianity, but you feel like a safe person to talk to about it or ask about it. And I said, you know what? Like, like God's not scared of your deconstruction. God was there when you constructed it. He was there when it was was of whatever it was. And then he's there when you're deconstructing. Like that's not phasing him, first of all. But second of all, I would also just ask people to, to really define what it is you're deconstructing. Are you really deconstructing your Christianity? Which some people may, they may be doing that, which is totally fine. But or are you deconstructing your relationship with religion? Are you deconstructing your relationship with the um, the, the church in general, right? The, the capital C church? Because let's be honest, 2020 did us no favors when it came to looking at uh, churches that were supposed to be for the least of these. And yet they were placing their... 100% backing behind the most of these. And so it's, it confuses us, right? And so where I, where I fall in is, is, yes, I'm a very safe place for people to deconstruct with and you can stay deconstructed. I'm not, I'm not sitting here trying to like reconstruct your faith for you, but I am somebody that, that I do. I deconstructed my faith. I deconstructed the church and then I reconstructed it. And I landed at a place where I feel like in a if you can find a healthy version of the capital C church, go for it. Uh, it may take a little bit of work, but I do feel like, like, you know, scripture tells me that the church is supposed to be the hands and feet. And so when you find one that's doing it, it is one of the healthiest things ever. But if you're in a place right now and you're not finding that, you know, it may be safer for you to, to leave that institution for a while until you really figure out what it is you're looking for. Yeah. It's tough. It's hard. And I think some of it comes back to you know, the way that you were raised and yeah. the way that that programming plays into whether you're good or not good. And yes. what I've found is 
Uh, I can, I've, I've been trying a variety of churches. I've been, one of the interesting things of online church is that yep. you can try a whole bunch of churches <laughs> and, right. you know, in state, out of state, wherever, and finding someone who's speaking in a way that hits you the best and most yep. and can also reflect some of the things that you value individually and personally. And yeah. the way that they're also reaching out to the community is a thing that you can sample a little bit. And, you know, until the world comes back to whatever new normal looks like, there's still maybe an opportunity for someone Absolutely. who's struggling to still do a little bit of a taste tester if you want, because man, yeah. there's access, there's an opportunity. There, there is. Yeah, there's lots. Congratulations on becoming a runner, by the way. <laughs> I am. Thank you for calling me what I am, because I am. I've done it eight times. Eight, You're seen, eight man. Times. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm in. I'm I wasn't in. a all... runner. I wasn't a runner for ever, like till I was yeah. 36. Now I'm 46 like you. And yeah. I, I dropped 2000 miles on the road these last year because let's go way of processing all of the emotions. It was my attempt to substitute oh. uh, any of my negative coping mechanisms like drinking with something more yeah. productive, like running. And it has been a, it's been a, a life changer. But I never, ever thought myself a runner. And now I completely identify as one. And even if you're just eight runs in, you, sir, are now a runner. That, that is actually like I need the Nike Run Club coach to not be in my ear. I need you to contract out with them. And then you can be like, Carlos, you're 40 minutes in. I promise you, you can do this. Turn around and go home now. Yeah, I but I'm, if it wasn't for my, my little Apple Watch and the Nike Run like, like coach, dude, I don't know if I could do it. But I'm so freaking fired up every day to go run. And like you said, I'm eight runs in and I love it. Like I, yesterday was the first time I officially ran in the rain. I don't know what, what it was about running in the rain that made me feel like a, a true runner, but B, I started weeping. Like I'm like on the run home. It's like five minutes left. It's the rain is pounding against my flesh and just all my, I'm like, why am I crying right now? Like I, this epic songs going in my ears. And I'm like, I, I don't cry at the gym, but this is, this is, there's something healing happening here, right? To my soul. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Man. There is a, it's this combo of church and therapy for me. Go, I mean, man. like it happens all the time. And I had a similar experience. I was, uh, as I was training for, I'm training in real time for an Ironman. I'm, I've been running longer distances. I hit a threshold that I hadn't previously run as frozen two soundtrack into the unknown for some reason, comes on, into the unknown and crossing the like 20 mile barrier. I was just like, let's go as let's go. just streaming tears coming down my face. Un oh my God. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, so what's next for you? What, like, what, what, what are you excited about right now in terms of what you're working on? I mean, I, I, it, like, I feel like I've known you forever. I said this before we even came on and this is the first time that we're having an actual conversation, but in watching your life, it feels like you could literally do anything. Where, where yeah. do you feel you're being pulled next? Yeah, that's a great question, Dave. I, uh, I'm actually having a meeting this, this week with my team to, to unlock what I feel like maybe has been locked up for potential for me. And here I am at 46 and I'm like, you know what? I don't know what I want to be when, when I grow up. So I'm pretty excited about figuring this out. Th this next thing. Is it, is it TV? Is it what we're, we're really trying. We're throwing anything up at the wall. We're seeing what sticks. And I've never been more excited about trying some new things. You know, the podcast is only uh, 10, by, 10 episodes in and just to, to see how it's affecting so many people. I'm like, I love this. Like I can sit just at my desk with my mic and just talk 
and you know get people uh, hopefully move them in just one de- one degree what just one degree difference is is all i'm trying to get people to shift and i've got i've got i'm starting my next book that's due in september so and it's really about everything we've been talking about here and so it's it's me taking a a pretty drastic left turn from the strictly faith based content that i've written before into obviously everything i write is always I'll always have a lens of my faith that I'm looking through, but this is definitely going to appeal to probably a bigger audience than any of my other books have before. And so, yeah, so that I'm really excited about because I'm writing in a way that I haven't written before. So there's there's a whole bunch. I just, you know, I, I enjoy being friends with people like you that are like cheering me on, like go for it, you know, and I'm like, let's go. I'm a runner now. Dave says I'm a runner. I'm a runner. Dave says I'm a TV host. I'm a TV host. Whatever yep. you need me to be, like I'm going for it, man. The, the, the beautiful thing, honestly, is like when you are led by impact and you are led by impact, right? You just follow the signs of life that lead you to how the things that you have been afforded in gifts can be shared with other people. And all of a sudden, there is just unlimited opportunity. It really then becomes, what are you most excited about? How can yeah. you channel that excitement into something that's going to affect the most number of human beings? And yeah. it's just like there's a palpability and a tangibility to your personal enthusiasm every single day that truly like it makes me want to come and check what is Carlos doing today? What is up? Even if it's just like the mundane throwing a pirates themed birthday party kind of right. stuff. I want to see it, man. So yes. there's goodness. I love in. it, dude. There's Thank goodness. you so much, buddy. I really All right. appreciate it. If people, uh, for whatever reason, uh, have not yet found you, they don't know uh, yeah. more. They want to know about more about your books so or they haven't yet uh, followed you on social. Where can they dive in and follow you? Yeah, you know, I pretty much live the life you want to see on Instagram. If you want to see like the alternate ego, like grumpy version of me, you can follow me on Twitter. But 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 Twitter normally gets like the the frustrated Carlos. Instagram is going to be living my life, my best life. And so at Loswit, L-O-S-W-H-I-T, I kind of kid. You People like both versions of me, but uh, Twitter, I'm on there. I'm on Instagram. And then like, if you want to find out any any information about my books or my speaking availability, uh, when speaking kind of comes back up live, you can go to carloswhitaker.com and find out all the info there, man. Awesome. All right. Last question. Every episode we ask our guests a single question to be a hard question. And that is, What is the single key takeaway that you would like to leave with our audience? It can be an idea, a question, an actionable piece of advice. What's the one thing you want to leave with our listeners today? Yeah, I I would say, I, I said it earlier, whiz by it really quickly, but sit in this again. Try with everything you can the next five days of listening after listening to this podcast. Every time your emotions get soup and your face gets flushed and you're in a conversation, a deep conversation with somebody where you disagree ask yourself, how can I walk with this person instead of standing on the issue? Don't stand on issues, walk with people. And I'm telling you that little bit by itself uh, will, I think, propel you and accelerate you uh, towards the life that you really, really want to live. And people around you want you living too. So don't stand on issues, but walk with people. Life-changing advice. I mean, like truly life-changing because if nothing else, you're going to learn a little bit about their perspective, their experience. It'll change the way that you think and do. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've enjoyed this episode and how could you have not, please tag (laughs) Carlos, please tag myself, share it with every human being you've ever met in your entire life. Between now and next week's episode, try and walk with someone to understand a little bit more of their experience. We'll see you on next week's episode of the Rise Together podcast. Thank you, Carlos. Thanks, hermanito. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. 
This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.